This is the MG Car Club podcast with Wayne Scott and Adam Sloman. On this week's podcast, we explore the history of the 1968 Marathon Rally MGB. Plus, we have MG3 news and we look at the reasons why Cecil Kimber left MG. Plus, news of new merchandise and loads more. The MG Car Club podcast. Welcome to another MG Car Club podcast then. Wayne Scott with you and Adam's here as well. Hi, Wayne. What news from Oxfordshire from your end at the moment? Well, it's all fairly quiet, to be honest with you, mate. Um, You've not been on the TV again since then? No, no. I've been uh, I've been keeping myself to myself, um, <laughs> trying to decide whether or not to uh, invest in another Lego kit, but I can't quite bring myself to spend 100 plus pounds on a, on a Lego Mustang. Um, it kind of got me thinking, actually. There ought to be a Lego MGB really we ought to have a word with um lego and the guys at british motor heritage and see if we can get that uh, get that to happen it needs to happen imagine how popular that would be at christmas it'd be really cool wouldn't it next thing for uh, the mg car club shop i think a technics lego mgb and i reckon it'll be more adults buying it and building it over christmas <laughs> yeah, <children>. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> me amongst them i would definitely be up for that um we've got some new merchandise to announce by the way for the mg car club shop coming up a little bit later on in the podcast but first news from india Yes, yeah, so um, we've just found out that uh, MG Motor India are helping the coronavirus fight over there. Um, regular listeners will remember that uh, last week they gave 100 hectares to local authorities. Um, they've actually upped that now by offering to sanitise police cars uh, at their service stations. And they reckon they can do sort of like 4,000 vehicles. Wow, so this is uh, all part of MG helping the battle against COVID-19 out there in India. So how are they making this work? Are the police like rolling their cars up to the mg factory for this or how, how are they doing it i think they're doing it through their service stations they've they've done really well to establish a quite broad dealer network across india already um, and obviously with people sort of staying at home and not using those facilities there are um, options there so yeah they're doing it through their service stations which is another way that they can help um, everyone with this battle that we're all facing Heading from India over to China to look at what's happening with MG Motor over in China. And we've spotted something on the website that might be quite telling as to a future model or some model developments to do with the MG3, haven't we? Yeah, so the MG3 has disappeared from the um, MG China website. Um, if you have a look on there, it's at siakmg.com. Uh, the rest of the range is still there. The uh, ZS, HS, MG6 that those guys get um, and the other cars are still there. But the MG3 has disappeared. Now, obviously, the MG3 is nine years old now. And in China, it's already on its um, technically its fourth iteration because the first MG3 was actually our old MGZR. But this current version of the MG3 is on its third facelift in China, having launched back in 2011. And it is by far the oldest car within the MG range. So maybe that's a hint that there is something new set to be announced fairly soon. Well, of course, we heard on the podcast last time that they have the new estate car that it's, that's coming. Daniel Gregorius did promise us that if that estate car sold well, there would be the electric prototype sports car that they've been talking about for some time, since 2017, in fact. Mm. Uh, they would put that into production. Uh, so there's a lot of activity around the MG models at the moment, and perhaps they're just getting themselves ready, getting themselves poised for when the coronavirus 
pandemic ends and people start fingers crossed coming back into showrooms yeah definitely i mean the, the three when it got its facelift in 2018 made a massive difference to the car i mean it was already a good little car um but the facelift sort of really raised the game and it's a cracking little proposition but like i said it is coming up 10 years old so yeah maybe it is time for a new one well, you've been looking at the modern MG range, and I've been going back in time, Adam, and looking at some of the uh, history from the Kimber House archives. Kimber House, of course, the home of the MG Car Club in Abingdon-on-Thames in Oxfordshire, and, of course, the home of MG uh, for certainly a big period of its life. And Barry Fairs, who we heard from on the podcast last week, who was uh, pulling us up on some facts to do with MGB bonnet badges... But he also reminded us of the fact that when we were talking about Cecil Kimber's birthday, which was over Easter weekend, that by his death in 1945, Cecil Kimber actually was not the boss of the MG Motor Company. And I was trying to figure out exactly what had happened um, to make that the case. And looking back through the history here from the Kimber House archives, uh, there's a few interesting sort of stories that sort of emerged. And we'd love to hear from you if you've done any more work or research into this story and how the relationship was between Cecil Kimber and uh, William Morris. The early 1930s was the real heyday for sort of the Cecil Kimber era at MG, but by the time 1935 arrived, it was clear to see that despite the fact that MG were having massive, massive successes, Cecil Kimber was starting to lose his interest in the company somewhat. Now, reading between the lines and looking at the stories and some of the newspaper clippings and the press releases and looking at how the some of the meetings went over the models that were out at the time there were continuous interventions it seems in mg's model range at the time by william morris of course he still owned a personal stake in the company in abingdon at this time and i think from what i can work out anyway cecil kimber was starting to get a little bit annoyed that william morris was continually interfering in the models that cecil kimber was trying to pull together now in 1935 the racing cars were at their absolute peak they were doing really really well the q-type had just replaced the j4 with a whopping supercharger bolted to the front of it i think it was nearly 150 brake horsepower that was generating at the time after the q-type the r-type single seater arrived which was set to be the real big you know all guns blazing uh, racing car for 1935 but it was all stopped strangled at birth this car with the all independent suspension and that was because in 1935 William Morris sold his personal stake in MG to Morris Motors Limited at that point Morris Motors then owned MG because they became the majority shareholder and in 1935 all works race cars were stopped and the road cars became their priority of course that was the year where the ta midget really sold in vast numbers they had the sa wa and uh, va at that time as well and so in 1941 the time we've got through the 1930s the fact that the mg ta midget was starting to take the world by storm but not quite in the levels that it would do in the post-war era once the American servicemen had discovered it and taken it home, of course. The war had arrived, Second World War had arrived in 1941, 
and of, as we well know, all of the manufacturing engineering houses had been requisitioned for the war effort by 1941. They were all involved in doing bullets or bits of planes or whatever, and MG was no different. And what happened was Cecil Kimber had agreed to do some aircraft building without seeking the approval from the Morris Motors Limited management board first. And he just agreed to start building aeroplanes. And for that, he was asked to resign immediately. Um, basically because he turned MG towards aircraft building for the war effort and made a deal with someone that the management board hadn't approved. And that's pretty much, from what I can see, is the story as to uh, why Cecil Kimber was, by 1945 and his death in that freak rail accident, not the boss of MG anymore. He did actually go on to other things before 1945. He worked at uh, Charlesworth Coach Builders for a time and found himself uh, ending up at Specialoid, who was the uh, piston makers in the 1940s. So there we are. I've uncovered the story of what I can find out was the troubled relationship really between William Morris and his intervention in Cecil Kimber's development of new MG ranges and a new MG line and ironic I think really that MG here in 2020 are still very much alive and well and we're talking about all the new cars on this podcast yet Morris Motors are a thing of history and a thing of the past. Yeah, it's strange because Kimber and uh, and William Morris were at one time very, very close, from certainly from my understanding. Well, they must have been for William Morris to have allowed him the space and the ability to build MG out of Morris Motors. They yeah, must have yeah. got on well at some point. Yeah, and I, I mean, I always understood that, that William Morris wasn't really bothered about MG. Um, all he was really worried about was was selling as many Morris cars as he could. And because Morris cars were selling so well, I think he gave, that allowed him to give Kimber the leeway that he enjoyed, certainly in MG's early years. And uh, the other thing I'd, I'd add to that, Wayne, is that if you're interested in learning more about what happened at, at MG and in Abingdon during World War II, the club shop has got a, a book, uh, MG's Wartime Activities, that's been compiled by Colin Grant, who's the Dephead on Safety Fast, and that's available in the club shop, and that's a really good read. There's some really good stories in there about what happened uh, in Abingdon during World War II. Talking of the club shop, we've got new merch, Adam. What we got, mm, got for me? Let's yes. unwrap it. Let's have a look. What's all this stuff here? You've, you've <laughs> so, sticking with the 90th anniversary, we have got a brand new 90th anniversary notebook. Um, so that's now in stock and available. Um, but one of our nice. most popular nice. lines, yeah, it's nice. branded on the cover. Yeah, though, definitely, like yeah. definitely. Um, you got what I do like is good thick pages. Yeah, just, proper proper quality paper. That's it. If I just flick them, look, you can just hear the thickness and the That's quality nice. of this notebook. I like it. That's available now in the MG Car Club shop then, yeah? Uh, yeah, you still need to pay for yours though, mate. Really? Yeah, I thought please. this was a freebie. No, no, no. No freebies. No freebies. Um, i tell you what. One of our most popular items we've got is our range of um, clocks that are inspired by the different um, Speedos from different MGs. Now, so, these I love. Yeah, they really smart. love these. The decision is, though, I suppose the idea is that you're supposed to have the clock that suits the car that you own, right? But yeah. they're all so amazing. I mean, some of the pre-war 
clocks are just beautiful ah oh, they're stunning i love these clocks you gotta have a look at them mgcc.co.uk if you look at the top bar there you can click shop and uh, just search for the clocks on there they are stunning and there's been new ones added to the range i understand yeah so now we've got pretty much every mg covered up to the most recent tf um so yeah go and have a look you're, you're bound to find one for your car and if you can't then let inica know and we'll see what we can do to get it added to the range and they look amazing in a man cave Definitely. Or a she shed. <laughs> a she shed. Is that a thing? <laughs> it is, is a thing? thing. It is I a thing. I thought the whole house was the she shed and we just allowed a cave. So <laughs> it is round here anyway. <laughs> and talking of the ladies, you've actually got stuff for ladies. There's new ponchos in. These are nice. Yeah, very nice. Are you going to model one for us? <laughs> <laughs> I could, but unfortunately this is this is obviously an audio podcast and not not a visual medium. So you you just Thank have goodness. to well, you'll just have to to go onto the club shop website and uh, take a look at the ponchos for yourselves and uh, see how nice they look and how smart they are. Well, we did launch something brand new on the podcast website, Adam, didn't we, uh, earlier on this week? And it is quite exciting, actually. This allows you, dear listener, to interact with the MG Car Club podcast in a new way because we've had quite a lot of messages. In fact, in the old Blue Peter style, the letterbox is full (laughs) of mail into the show and all of that kind of stuff. But what we want to do is to get you on the podcast. Now, there's two ways we can do this. We want to obviously talk to you about your mg stories and interview you about your history and your life with the mg that you love or alternatively just drop us a quick message like you heard barry do uh, last week on the podcast very easy to do go to mgpodcast.uk click the contact button that you'll see on the website there and there's a little voice recorder all you have to do is just follow the steps there and record us a message that will send it to us and we can include you on the podcast you can tell us anything you can tell us how much you love the show you can tell us what stuff we've got wrong in the last episode and ideally what we'd like to hear from you over the coming weeks is your first memory of mg what was your first moment that you remember seeing an mg being in an mg driving an mg what was your earliest memory of the mg car brand adam what was yours oh so my earliest memory with mg would be being in my uh now my bgt that belonged to my late my late father um and i can remember um going what felt like a million miles an hour but it was probably nearer 60 um with a full-length sunroof open the wabasto all the way back um and elo's mr blue sky on uh, full volume um we only ever had two tapes in my dad's car um there was an elo greatest hits collection and the best of dire straits so anytime i hear either um either Sultans of Swing or uh, Mr. Blue Sky or something like that by ELO, I'm immediately transported back to my childhood and being in that car and feeling like I was doing a million miles an hour. Amazing. Brilliant memory. Mine is the MG Midget that my dad restored for my mum. It was a C-plate MG Midget in green, and I remember the first three letters on the number plate were ERP, and my dad bought that as a present for my mum and he tricked her basically asked her to go along to uh, pick up some parts or go and see someone for work or whatever left her in the car went to this guy's house came out got in the car dropped a set of keys in her lap and said that car over there under the cover 
go and have a look at it it's yours you got to drive it home and her dream car was an mg midget and she was absolutely gobsmacked the surprise and the happiness soon wore off when she got behind the wheel of this mg midget <laughs> and and had to drive home with her feet either side of the floor because well the floor wasn't there basically you could see nice. the road uh through the floor uh is it was so rotten but he spent 18 months two years after that restoring it and it was concourse that mg midget and it was the first convertible car that i ever went in and wasn't our our only mg in the family he later went on to have an mg montego turbo brand now you're new, talking brand new out of the factory needed new cells after twelve thousand miles on warranty but it was the 80s great mate that was what happened <laughs> <laughs> and it was a still a, a stunning car it was still one one of the quickest cars on the road i reckon at the time so uh, there are memories of mg what are your earliest memories of mg Go to the website, mgpodcast.uk, and leave us your memories on the contact form there just by clicking the leave us a voice message button, following the steps, and sending that to us. And it could be you on the podcast in coming weeks. The MG Car Club Podcast. The MG Car Club, the mark of friendship. To take advantage of our many membership benefits, access to our centres and registers, and to receive your copy of Safety Fast magazine, join us now at mgcc.go.uk. Memories from Kimber House with Adam Sloman. As British Leyland prepared to close the Abingdon factory in 1980, the firm considered selling off the MG Mark, and potentially the Abingdon works along with it. One potential suitor was Aston Martin, who planned to modernise the MGB and keep it relevant for the 1980s. William Towns, the man who designed the DBS, was charged with freshening things up and the car was fitted with the taller BGT windscreen and frame. Elsewhere, the chrome waistline was deleted and bold black plastic side mouldings were also added. A revised fuel filler, unique seats and wolf-race alloy wheels were also added, while at the front, the rubber bumper was revised and a new chrome grille was fitted, and thus, the 1981 MGB was born. Reminiscent of the 1980s Alfa Romeo Spider, Aston Martin completed the presentation car in just six days, but the work, it turned out, was for nothing, as by June of 1980 negotiations had failed, with BL opting to close Emmingdon and retain the MG mark. Sharing your passion for MG on the MG Car Club podcast. Well, next on the MG Car Club podcast, a really interesting story about a very unique MGB. The 1968 London to Sydney Marathon Rally was conceived the year before in 1967 during a period of, well, a bit of despondency really in the UK caused by, amongst many other things, a weak pound at the time. And Sir Max Aitken, who was the boss of the Daily Express back then, created an event that his newspaper could sponsor to raise the country's spirits. Amongst the 98 cars that set off from Crystal Palace for the gruelling 10,000 mile 10-day event across 10 different countries was a plucky little MGB. It was a private entry with factory support and it was very much the underdog. Nobody expected her to finish, but not only did she finish, she became the only sports car to reach the finishing line and finished in 41st place. And there's an amazing story that doesn't just end there. And to tell us all about that story is John Watson from the MGB register of the MG Car Club. Hiya, John. Yeah, hi, uh, Wayne. This really was the underdog car, wasn't it? It was, you know, this is a small sports car. These 
these were really rough and dangerous tracks that this rally was planned to be on. Tell us about the story of how this car came together. Right, okay. Well, um, initially started off that Pete Neal at Kimber House, the archivist at Kimber House, had a, uh, an email from a guy who'd been asked to clear some garages. And in one of the garages was uh, a tatty old MGB. But on the dash was a, a sticker that said London to Sydney Marathon Finisher. Um, so then Pete then spoke to Bill Price, who we all know, who's ex-competitions, and Bill went down to look at this car and came back and said, yes, it's definitely the car. It's nowhere near what it was at the time, but yes, it is definitely the car. Took a few photographs. Uh, that was on a Tuesday, I think it was, or a Wednesday. On the Friday, three of us from the MGB register thought we'd go and have a look at it. Uh, anyhow, by sort of midday, we'd done a deal with this man, um, paid for it. Uh, we gave him £900, and he also agreed to deliver it to British Motor Heritage for us at Whitney, who said they would let us have a little parking space in the corner of their car park. Um, at the time, I thought, well, we're not going to lose too much because on the dash was a Halder speed pilot, and they're worth the classic car drivers sort of five, six hundred pounds. So we're not going to lose a lot of money if it's a non-starter. Um, so we then, uh, it was delivered uh, in March, 17th of March to Whitney in 2015. Uh, we then set up a subcommittee within the uh, MGB register, which is headed by car club director George Wilder, uh, Jeff Edwards from the committee, who was the treasurer, he looked after the finances. And then uh, a couple of other members, Neil Hyatt and Roger Boys and myself, we all sort of sat together and decided, right, what we're going to do with this thing. Um, it was a, a purple colour. Uh, the only bits and pieces that were, we knew it was the car was the number plate was still intact. The engine was in there, and when we looked closely at the engine, all the nuts and bolts had been wired, so it was still the original engine. Um, the, it had a roll cage in there, which was not a pretty sight. I wouldn't have liked to roll over in it. And also on the boot was a spare wheel carrier, which was a special tuning part, and that's how obviously Bill recognized it as the car it was. So we then started a... Um, a system of asking members and friends, whoever wanted to donate to the restoration of the car. And if they gave us a minimum of £25, they, their name would appear on the supporters list. Uh, but we're also helped very much by our trade partners. Um, Mosh Europe were very good. British Motor Heritage helped us with a lot of the metal work because it needed a lot of metal work. Um, classic and Modern took the engine and they rebuilt that for us as when as a lot of other trade members. Um, as I said, it needed a lot of structural work, new sills, new cross members, new floors, the doors. Um, we, we only had to change one major structural um, uh, body, outer body panel, which was the boot lid, funnily enough. Although we thought it was okay, when we came to rub it down and get it tidied up, it was quite rusty, so we decided to change that. Um, and we were lucky that uh, Steve Ealing from Abingdon Car Restorations, who's been established here mending cars for ages, he said he wanted to take the job on because he found it an interesting sort of project. And uh, he gave us a, a mate rate, which was very helpful because we had no money, um, and took it on. So that's uh, that side of the story. Um, 
after, in April, we were then contacted by a guy called Robert Connor, who was writing a book on the London to Sydney Marathon. He couldn't believe that we'd actually found the car and came over to Whitney to see it and was nearly in tears when he discovered this car. But luckily, he discovered Tom Boyce. And Tom had done the event with Gene Denton. Tom, unfortunately, he was a Canadian guy, um, a very uh, high-tech sort of petrol engineer and lectured at universities in London. Um, but unfortunately, his body was failing, but his brain was fantastic. And we, Roger Boys and myself, found him, went down to meet him. At his, he was in a nursing home at Guildford. And we set a couple of tape recorders going, and three hours later, we had all sorts of information, because obviously we were trying to rebuild this car with um, not a lot of facts. We had no real knowledge of the car as such. It was all done by photographs. The whole car, as you see it now complete, was restored using photographs and people's uh, info. And, and Tom, not only did he prepare the car, but he was the co-driver uh, with exactly. Gene Denton as well, wasn't he? So, I mean, he, what a find. Yeah. He must have been the guy that knew it all, really. Oh, it was amazing. And he worked with Alex Moulton, you know, the, the hydroelastic man, mm -hmm. and doing some suspension because the car has not only does it have its normal leaf springs, but it has um, lever arc shock absorbers, adjustable ones in the rear, and he fitted telescopic shock absorbers in there. So it's got all three, and Alex Moulton was involved in that. A lot of history came out, and Tom's... We've got, a, as I say, these tapes, and we're just getting them converted into a synopsis that we can put it on the website, on our website, so people can listen to him talking about the car. Uh, so then we started researching, as I said, about Jean, uh, who ended up as Baroness Jean Denton, and she was in Northern Ireland office in John Major's uh, government in the end. Um... But going backwards, uh, the next thing was we uh, were asked to take the car to Gaydon in May 2015. I think this is probably when you first saw it, uh, Wayne. Yeah. Um, when we had the Historic Marathon Rally Group show there. Um, and uh, we took this car <laughs> and it ended up, we were pushing it around because they were having a, uh, <laughs> a, a display of rally cars and uh, such like being driven we thought well, we're not going to miss out here so a group of us ended up pushing the car at the back of the queue um and your friend graham graham robson our lovely graham um ended up talking to us and that's the first real viewing people had from the public as seeing the car absolutely we remembered uh, remarking on how quiet it was at the time and then we realized that it wasn't running you guys were pushing it <laughs> exactly exactly yeah so then, uh, June, it was we put it on display at the MGB, uh, sorry, on the MGB register stand at MG Live at Silverstone, and a lot of interest there from car club members. Um, and then following that, it went over to Steve Abin Car Restorations, where he started um, uh, restoring the car. Uh, and then another person came up out of the woodwork, a guy called Pete Smith, who had helped. Um, Tom Boyce and Gene's husband, um, Tony Denton, build the car. Pete, this is a really funny story, one of his neighbours is a car club member and was reading Safety Fast because Andy had put some information in there about the car and uh, he was reading Safety Fast and it was talking about this marathon car and said to Pete, his neighbours, can you get involved in this? And he said, yeah. 
Anyhow, next thing is Pete rings me up and he said, I understand you got the car. I said, yes. He said, where is it? I said, it's in Abingdon. Oh, right. I said, where do you live? And he only lived in Uffington, which is about 20 miles away, which was really quite amazing. So he came over and again, and gave us a lot of information. And his wife, Sharon, did all the door pockets, sewing of the po- little pockets in the door oh, sills wow. and things like this. Hmm. So it was really, really good, you know, getting Tom's info and then Pete's info to help with the uh, with the restoration of the of the car. It went overland until it got to Bombay, and then they shipped all of the cars from Bombay to Fremantle in Australia uh, using Air India. And you, there's a funny story where you actually had to engage with MG Motor in India to try and track down the original sticker. That was quite a find, wasn't it? It was, yeah, it was really strange. Um, as I said, all the car was been restored, and the like, rhubarbs on the front have all been made from looking at the photographs and all this sort of stuff, and. The, petrol tanks at the back being made from photographs and all the stickers have been um, uh, put together by our friends at Scorpion Signs and the only one they couldn't really read properly or look at was one that we sort of said Air India but we weren't certain and you know, I um, sent a picture of it to our contact the marketing lady who I don't think she's there now um, at, at MG India and said, you know, any chance you might be able to do a bit of research on this? It was wanted in 1968. That was the time area. Anyhow, within an hour or two, I'd got an email back from her saying, yes, we've spoken to our friends at Air India, and here's a list of all their logos and copies of JPEGs going from 1960 all the way through to 1970. So from this selection of JPEGs, really high-quality JPEGs, Scorpion made managed to print out the correct sign, which is you know a fantastic link, absolutely fantastic. Well, to give people an idea of just how rough and dangerous this rally was, you only have to look at how in the later stages in Australia the running order changed. Andrew Cowan, of course, the Scottish driver, won the event in his Hillman Hunter, with Paddy Hopkirk a close second in his Land Crab, the BMC 1800. But Roger Clark had led for most of the rally in his Lotus Cortina before that engine blew up. Bianchi was second in his Citroen, but that was hit by a non-competing Mini that took it out of contention as well. It really, really took a high toll on the cars that participated in this. Did you find any damage on the car as you were restoring it? Any evidence of anything like that? The thing that I'm really surprised at is that we can't find any mountings for a sump guard. Now, most cars that do any rallying have a sump guard underneath to, you know, because obviously the engine's holding the oil. If that goes, you, you're dead, basically. Um, we couldn't find any mountings or anything at all on that, which we find really strange. Of course, there's nobody we can talk to now, because unfortunately Tom passed away last year, or just after we saw him. Um, but what we do know of, and our friends in Car Club in uh, Australia sent us some information, and also uh, Paddy Hopkirk and also Rosemary Smith told us of this story, was that the Air MGB um, was whizzing across the long, fast, flattish uh, gravel tracks in Australia, and it ended up falling down a big hole. And what happened then was the engine gave way from the mounts and went straight through the radiator. Mm. But luckily, the guys from um, the west side of uh, Australia, the car club guys, they were following and 
picked up with the car at one of the checkpoints where they discovered the unit. By that time, Tom was sort of taking the uh, radiator out or seeing what they could do. And yeah, they robbed one of the uh, spectator's radiators out of his MGB, managed to fit the, ra- the engine back into some sort of position, put the MGB radiator in, and off went the car. So uh, if that hadn't have happened, I don't think it would have been a finisher. Brilliant. Wow, fantastic. The MG Car Club coming together even back then in 1968. Yeah, yeah. And all of these all of these stories and things are on our... We've got a dedicated website uh, on our news page of the MGB Register website where all of these stories are, all the pictures. Um, and in 2018, we actually did a lecture at the Radley College here in Abingdon where we had Paddy Hopkirk, Alec Poole, who did the thing we think, mm-hmm. um, uh, Graham hosted it. Uh, Rosemary Smith was there who did the event and I the great story from Rosemary because she did it in Lotus Cortina the same as Roger Clark um, and the, those were because one thing that Tom Boyce told us is that we didn't know what type of petrol we were going to be getting on the road mm-hmm. so they he tuned the car to run on very very low quality petrol and of course Lotus Cortina's engines didn't like that and a lot of them blew the pistons. And Rosemary's ended up, she ended up driving the thing with just three pistons. And the story she tells is when she got to the Kyber Pass, there wasn't enough go in the car to pull up the engine, pull up the, uh, up the pass. And she remembers her father telling her, always go up steep hills in reverse. So she actually reversed the Lotus Cortina she was driving all the way up the Kyber Pass, which is a great story. She's done but the Kyber the, backwards. Brilliant. Yeah, all of these are on there. Um, there's three uh, uh, video clips that we did on the lecture, and all these stories are there on our website if people want to know a bit more information. Brilliant. We'll put links to those video clips on the description of the podcast as well on the podcast page at mgpodcast.uk, so you can find them easily there as well. And uh, I mentioned Andrew Cowan there, who won the event in his Hillman Hunter, and the Roots group were just not prepared for the fact that Andrew was going to win this rally at all, and they really didn't make much of it. And shortly after, actually, after he returned home, they shut the very department that had prepared that car was the interest from MG and the factory at Abingdon a little bit more uh, involved than that? Were they? Did they show any interest in the uh, the victory, as it were, that it finished in forty first place? Well, luckily, living in Abingdon and being here for forty odd years, I know quite a lot of the guys. Although I was never involved with the factory uh, or competitions, but know quite a few other people. And talking to uh, some of the engineers and competitions that are still alive, and um, people like. Um, Bill Price, Peter Browning, and others—they don't really—they didn't really get involved with the car. Um, they believe special tuning was slightly involved, but although Basil Wales, who ran it at the time, he didn't really remember the car, and I don't think—I um, think they may have helped out on some areas, but we can't exactly say that yes, they were involved with it. But Gene was a very hard marketing lady within the motor industry she worked for heron the big uh, garage organization mm. and she did a lot of rallying knew a lot of people and fluttered her eyelids and eyelashes i should say and i think she sort of you know got the pr and of course nova which was the big magazine at the time the ladies magazine a bit like the hello magazine of today mm. they supported her on, on the unit so um i don't think the factory were that um, much behind the car, to be perfectly honest, but mm. I'm not certain on that. Mm. 
Interesting. Well, of course, it's a fantastic thing that the MGB register of the MG Car Club managed to do to rescue that car and to restore it. And you can see pictures of it along with this podcast and see the rhubars on there and the lovely gold paintwork. Uh, presumably, there's not much known about what the car did and where it was after it came home from the rally to the point at which you found it in the scrapyard, I guess. And all the cars after the event, all the majority of cars after the event were put on the cargo ship and all came back together. And we were assuming that our car did that. We know that she then rallied it. We believe she used it on the Scottish rally. Because uh, prior to the event, she was using it. She did a lot of circuit racing and she used the car on circuit races. And then when the regs came out for this event, she decided she wanted to do it. And Tom sort of stripped all the race stuff off and built it to be a, a long distance rally car. Um, but we believe from reports in other things that we've managed to pick up that the car was actually scrapped back in the 70s and then it was taken out of a, out of a scrap yard so in theory the car's been in a scrap yard twice we've you know so it's um it's got three lives a bit like a cat <laughs> um so uh, yeah but as i say the car's displayed at kimber house and mg car club uh, when it's not out and about because we try and get out to as many places you know over the last year or so since because it was launched in november 18 it was when we uh, sorry before that we launched it at the uh, restoration show in march 18 when we nearly finished it. it's still not complete there's work we need to do on the inside and um, we need some seats and we need some carpet and uh, but it looks as it sort of was the idea was to make it look as it was in in uh, november 1968 at, class, at uh, crystal palace but it's been to Bista Heritage. It went to the Rally Day at Castle Coombe in uh, last year. Race Retro. It's been it's been on display at the Monte um, Monte Carlo event at Banbury. They have a checkpoint at Banbury. We take it up there. And it, it actually went to the Celtic Manor Rally Day as well, which is quite interesting over over the border in Wales. And we were asked if we would like to drive it around a bit of a track. So um, the red mist came down and we gave it a bit of a go. <laughs> Absolutely. Which is quite good. And it's also been up at BMW Mini in Oxford on display there. When the car club had a council meeting there, we we were asked to take it up there so members attending the council meeting would see the car. So it's, uh, yeah, it's getting the rounds. And when you, it gets a lot of uh, head turning, you know, especially if you're driving up the motorway. You see these cars come whizzing up behind you, and all of a sudden they vanish. You think, where on earth have they gone? And it's where they slow down because they don't believe what they're looking at as they're driving by. <laughs> well, an MGB with big bull bars on the front, or rue bars as I should call them, is not a common sight on British roads, is it? Let's be no, honest. exactly. And also from the back, so you've got three jerry cans all yeah. strapped on the back, you know, so it's, it's got enough petrol to go around the world, I think. Well, of course, you're, uh, you head up the MGB register in the MG Car Club as well, and uh, that's got to be quite a task, John, because that is by far and away the most numerous of the cars in the club. So uh, tell us about some of the activities that, in a normal year, of course, that you would be up to with the MGB register. Yeah, um, yeah, I'm chairman of the MGB register. Um, we, as with all the registers, we keep, keep a, a note of cars, um, we are just under 20,000 cars listed on our register. Wow. Um, for those that are listening, any MGB owners, if your car isn't registered, then please go on and you can do it online with us. Um, and 
And if you think it's registered but you've moved house or changed email address, which so many people do and don't tell you, please let us know. But, yeah, we, our main events that we do are um, – a big event that we do is a spring run, which is normally in April, um, where we get sort of 100-plus MGEs. And it's, we, all events that we organize or get involved with, we, it's open to any MG, no matter what it is, whether it's a, a vintage MG – up to a, the modern ZS or HS, you know, we don't mind. As long as they're driving an MG badge, anybody's welcome. Um, so we do that. We go to shows. Um, we have a very active um, website. Uh, we've lucky got a guy called Paul who uh, sort of volunteered with his arm twisted. He looks after our website for us. And we do a, a monthly, although during the COVID situation, we're doing a bi-monthly e-newsletter as well to our um, people who have registered for that, and all of this can you know you can subscribe to every newsletter on the on the MGB website. Absolutely, and uh, just another uh, aspect of MG Car Club life that you, if you're listening, can get involved with and uh, come and join us. We're a friendly club with lots to be getting on with and lots lots to enjoy. So, uh, John Watson, Chairman of the MGB Register, thanks very much for joining us. The MG Car Club Podcast. Safety Fast, the magazine of the MG Car Club. Get your copy now by joining us at mgcc.co.uk. Adam, we've had quite a lot of correspondence of people listening into the podcast, and not just from the UK, from around the world. Yeah, we um, had a lovely email from Alan Fabry, who's the president of the MG Car Club uh, Victoria down in Australia. And um, those guys have been working really hard using zoom and things like that and weekly email bulletins to keep in touch while australia's in lockdown as well and uh, alan was telling me that he's been listening to the podcast and they've been sharing it with their members so um hello to all those guys we've also had a, another email from alan magnuson who is um over in america um with the rocky mountain center i met alan last year for the first time and he's listening to the podcast over in the states so it's getting a lot of listens from different corners of the world which is really cool well, we do say that this podcast is uniting MG fans worldwide, and that just proves that we've got people all over the globe listening to us, which is really, really exciting. And to you guys in America, in the Rockies there, to you guys in Australia, and to you wherever you're listening, it's really lovely to have you along. Do get in touch, stay involved, and spread the word of this podcast amongst all your MG-loving friends. We need to make this go round the world even further so we can all share in chatting about MGs, which is what me and Adam do best, really. It's what we love, isn't it? Absolutely. <laughs> so uh, that's it for another episode of the MG Car Club podcast. Don't forget, of course, as well, our MG Car Club photo contest still runs on the website. And if you go to the podcast website, you can find the link to it there. Or just go straight to photos.mgcarclub.co.uk, click the form, upload your picture, tell us the story story it'd be lovely to see more of those pictures going up there and, and so far we've got nearly 300 entries into the photo contest and not just from the uk also from the mg community around the world so keep those coming in until next week from me see ya and from him take care guys see you soon subscribe to receive new episodes of the mg car club podcast at mgpodcast.uk